Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. It's the holiday season and with everybody down on the beach got me to thinking about beauty parades. In this case, not a beauty parade of models in swimsuits, but rather looking for business partners abroad. And I thought this week I'd tell you a story of my experience with what I think is a pretty good moral for um, anybody setting up a business abroad or opening a new office in another country. The question to ask is, do first impressions lie? Well, the first experience I had of this was working on paper. And on paper, the company I was going to see looked impressive. We'd found six potential partners that we'd shortlisted and I'd traveled to Mumbai in India to meet them, all six of them, and to choose a new business partner. This one looked like the best on paper. Rajesh, the young CEO who came to meet me at my hotel, looked the part too. He was immaculately dressed, well-spoken and clearly well-organized as he laid out paperwork and photos on the table in front of us. All was well, in fact, until I said, okay, so where's your office? Let's go there. That was about 20 years ago. I was actually searching for software talent, aiming to find an established team of well-qualified developers that we could work with to deliver a large project um, that we'd conceived and specified in some detail. Previous experience had taught me that whilst first impressions, of course, count, second and third ones are actually really more important. Anyway, the persuasive sales pitch was only good enough to get to the next step. I needed to see the team in action with my own eyes. Rajesh, the CEO, seemed reluctant. He made a range of weak excuses about not going to the office. But I prevailed, and he agreed that we could go. His driver was actually waiting outside for him in what was a relatively posh car at the time. I'd been to Mumbai before, and often, so I wasn't phased by the surroundings or the traffic. And it was quite normal, in fact, to get stopped in traffic by the Dharavi slum, which is still the biggest in Asia. I was though rather surprised to be told that this was our destination. These days, tourists are taken for walks through the slum, but that wasn't the case then, so it was my first true experience. I was more or less pulled by the hand through a maze of alleyways, and finally through an unmarked, unremarkable door and up a rickety staircase. I found myself in a large, dusty and cobwebbed attic with row after row of tables with ancient sewing machines, the only light coming through some sort of roof lights. It would have made a great set for a horror movie, and we weren't actually that far from the Bollywood studios, but it definitely didn't cut it as a software development office. Rajesh, though, was undeterred. He assured me that he'd been bequeathed this space by an uncle 
who used to have a, a rag trade shop. And now he was going to redevelop it into what he said would be the most modern software office in Mumbai, just as soon as he had a client. The fact that there was no mains electricity, and it looked to me like it would have to be stolen from a supply hundreds of metres away, like quite a number of power supplies still are there, didn't put him off at all, but it did me. And those photos? Well, they were of another office, one that he was going to model his new one on. So, as it turned out, no computers, no office, no people, no electricity. So, on to the next Beauty Parade contestant. Again, it looked good on paper. This time, there wasn't even a raised eyebrow about going to see the office. It was all part of the plan. The two brothers, who'd introduced themselves as the owners of the business, whisked me off to an impressively modern office building in Narriman Point, which is probably the most upmarket area of Mumbai at that time. In fact, I remember my first reaction as being something like, how much is this going to cost me? The reception desk in front of the lift exit had a sign above it for an insurance company. Oh, this is because we do a lot of work for that company, the brothers told me. Don't worry, we'll put another sign with your name when we sign the contract. Frankly, I cared very little for signage. I just wanted the project completed, but I let that go. There was a man on reception and he clearly knew the brothers, but he definitely didn't count out to them as if they were the bosses as I'd have expected in that environment at that time. But at least it was a real office, a dozen or more desks, all with computers and people working at them. I was moved by the brothers very quickly to a meeting room off the side of the room, but not before I'd got a glance at the desks and noticed that everybody seemed to have a stack of handwritten forms in front of them. Definitely not what I'd have expected for software development. Oh, these are our data entry clerks, said one brother. The developers are in another office. Can we go there, I asked. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. It's a secure area. You must understand. Oh, where is it then? Just down the corridor here? Oh, no, 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 no. It's in another building. So what projects do they have that are so secure that I can't see them at work? They were now getting rather flustered, but... It wouldn't have really mattered what they'd answered. I'd already concluded that this was another sort of wishful thinking business. Looking around the meeting room we were in, I spotted a small stack of literature all about insurance, nothing to do with software development. And the company name that I'd seen above the reception desk as I'd come in was embossed on a diary. So they clearly borrowed the office. Well, that was over 20 years ago now. Do things change? Well, not really. Several years later, in 2007, still a long time ago, I went in search of a partner for a customer service office in Shanghai, China. Around that time, we had many clients, big multinationals, who were very excited about the opportunities in China, and they were busy creating joint ventures, opening factories and offices there. But it was the other side of the world for us. Uh, we were small, we couldn't easily cope with the time difference, and... Worst of all, we didn't speak Chinese. So the idea was to find a partner who could handle customer queries for us, do translations, things like that. Now, I'd only been to China once before, and that time as a tourist, and that had been at least a decade earlier. The change and the pace of modernization in Shanghai was amazing, at least on the surface. But I quickly found out that backstage, smaller businesses had a lot of catching up to do. And while the culture 
might be a world away from that of India. I met the same situation of what I'll call aspirational businesses and borrowed offices. Now, coming from the West, one's initial assumptions still are that everything there in China is government controlled. But that's far from the case. There's no end of small businesses. And in many cases, like the ones I described before, not so much startups as those aspiring to start up at your expense. However, we really needed a partner, and there was one that looked different, simply because they were clearly large and established. They also already handled customer service for several big US companies. It even went by a good and appropriate Chinese name, Great Wall. They had a sales representative in New York who'd handled my initial inquiry, and he actually wanted to negotiate the service there and then. He'd seemed very surprised when I said I'd go to Shanghai and look for myself. In fact, he kept telling me that it was completely unnecessary to travel and that he could handle everything from there. Anyway, I went, and Great Wall had real offices with its name plastered on every wall. I and the colleague who went with me were walked through a large open-plan office full of industrious young people, all tapping away at computers. There were charts on the wall and someone studiously updating stats on a whiteboard. Surely this one was the real deal. Well, it was real all right, but it was all right also downright scary. We were taken into a meeting room, which was bare, apart from a long table, with at least ten chairs on each side, and motioned to sit in the middle on one side. The lady who took us in there left us, and we sat in silence, looking at each other for a while, until a line of six men, all in matching and rather shabby black suits, filed in, followed by a very fierce-looking elderly short and rotund lady who sat in the middle directly facing me it felt like something out of kafka the spokesman who turned out to be the only one who spoke english introduced the team the lady we learned was the boss he made great pains to insist that she supervised everyone and everything i told you it was scary sitting opposite her i was feeling pretty supervised myself everything i said had to be translated and relayed to the boss and everything she said was translated back. Nobody else spoke a word or moved a muscle. Intransigence personified six times over. I don't know how satisfied their US customers or the Chinese staff of their JVs were with the customer service they got for Great Wall. They may well have been happy, and they may still be very efficient and effective. I just knew there was no way that we could work with them, and I couldn't wait to get out of the office. The English-speaking executive walked me out and told me that he and his boss had great respect for me because of my age. I didn't feel old then, but if I went back now, they'd probably think I was Methuselah. Fake businesses and offices haven't gone away. In some ways, the scam has actually got more sophisticated by taking advantage of more modern business developments. Recently, as an example, I was in Dubai making business arrangements for a client. Amongst other things, he needed an accountant doesn't everyone. I'd had good experience with the business I'd worked with there before. Not an accountancy firm, a lawyer's as it happened. So I asked them for a recommendation. The accountant who was recommended called me within minutes and he was very eager to meet at my hotel. I looked up his website, found him on LinkedIn as one does, and he certainly seemed to have respectable credentials. But sticking to my usual policy, I refused a meeting at the hotel and asked to come to his office instead. 
There was a lot of hesitation that ensued. But of course I could come to the office, but it would be difficult for the next two days. Wouldn't it be better to meet at the hotel today instead? No, I said, let's meet at your office in a few days' time. I'm going to be here for a few days. When I got the address, I checked it on Google Maps, as one does. Always a good idea these days. And sure enough, it turned out to be serviced offices. Okay, well, lots of businesses use those, so that's not necessarily a problem. When I got there, the office he showed me into had five desks. Four of them occupied by others, all apparently staff who were working. But I was suspicious, and my suspicions were raised further, not only because they were all using laptops, but because there was no paper on the desks and no filing cabinets. Now, I'm a great believer in paper-free offices, but have you ever seen an accountant's office without paper? These days, it's easier than ever to dissimulate having a successful business. Websites can be created easily and cheaply. Serviced offices can be rented by the hour. Out-of-country and out-of-area phone numbers can be got with Skype for a few pounds or dollars. So if you're serious about doing business with someone, particularly in another country where you're not going to have day-to-day -day oversight, you need to check them out in person. As the Americans say, lift the hood and kick the tires. Don't rely on the word of a local representative in your own country. Don't accept meetings at hotels. Don't believe what you see on a website until you see it for yourself. Get yourself a beauty parade together. Go and see all of them and then decide for yourself. Not all that glitters is gold. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week. So please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos and podcasts and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think. Mm -hmm.